everyone. It is six o'clock, so we will go ahead and begin. Welcome to the Board of Education meeting of the Shawnee Mission School District of May 29th. Our first item on the agenda is the Pledge of Allegiance. Unfortunately, no cute kindergartners with us, so we're going to have to do it on our own. Please join us in the Pledge of Allegiance. Next item on the agenda is item 1.03, and it's the, the adoption of tonight's agenda. I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Thank Second. you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor of adopting this evening's budget, or sorry, agenda <laughs> as presented, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We move on to the approval of the minutes. It's the meeting of May 13th. I'll so moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Mac, back. Mac, sorry. Mm -hmm. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor of the approval of the minutes of the meeting of May 13th, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We now move on to superintendent's report. Dr. Fulton, welcome. Yes. Thank you very much. Great to see everybody this, oh, there you go. Great to see everybody this evening. Get that turned on. Well, first of all, we want to congratulate all of our graduates, class of 2019, and we're thrilled to celebrate the nearly 1,600 graduating seniors who received this, their diplomas this May. Yeah, I was pleased to attend a number of these celebrations along with members of the board, district administrators, and educators during commencement week. And I want to thank everyone for their time, their dedication, and effort to help every one of our students achieve uh, their goal of uh, graduating and for all the rest of our students, their goals as well during this past school year. Do we have any graduates in the uh, audience? I know we have one. There we go. Congratulations. You met recent graduates, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. How about 2019 Johnny Mission High School graduates? There you go. <laughs> a group of eighth graders from Hawker Grove earned first place at the Jobs for America's Graduates Kansas Career Development Conference this past spring. The students competed in a series of employability skill events, including public speaking, presenting a business plan, and mock job interviews. The team was coached by Ali Fisher, Jobs for America's graduates teacher at Hawker Grove. So congratulations to the Hawker Grove students. We're very pleased to, we were very pleased to welcome state leaders as we served as host for a community engagement session that focused on improving early childhood systems in Kansas. Community members gathered to share their thoughts related to how early childhood systems can be improved in Kansas. The information collected through this session and similar sessions throughout the state will be used to create a strategic plan for early childhood. A link will be shared in the board recap for those who are unable to attend but are interested in submitting input. This week, two Shawnee Mission School District students stepped into the spotlight on spelling's biggest stage at the Scripps National Spelling Bee. Myra McGinnis, a fourth grader from Corinth Elementary, and Ishavav Saar, a sixth grader from Briarwood Elementary School, are 2019 competitors in Washington, D.C. More than 11 million spellers took part in a local spelling bee to have the opportunity to attend the Scripps Bee. 
And these two students are among 565 competitors who joined the national competition. Congratulations to both of them. Indian Hills Middle School was named a Kansas Administrators of Middle Schools Association High Performing School for 2018-2019. The honor was given to recognize a school that has demonstrated growth and one of the five criteria that is part of the Kansas State Department of Education's 21st Century Accreditation Model. The award will be presented during a conference in September. Congratulations to Indian Hills Middle School. At the 17th Annual Blue Star Awards, two Shawnee Mission East High School students were honored for their outstanding performances in high school productions. The Blue Star Awards are given by Starlight Theater to recognize achievement and excellence in high school musical theater. Janie Carr was presented with a Blue Star Award for Outstanding Actress in a lead role for a performance as Ariel in Disney's The Little Mermaid. As part of this honor, Carr is invited to travel to New York City in June to participate in the National High School Musical Theater Awards, also known as the Jimmy Awards. Aidan Connolly was presented with a Blue Star Award for Outstanding Actor in a featured role for the performance of Chef Louis in The Little Mermaid. So congratulations to our students. A lot of fun things going on. This is very exciting. Luke Bledsoe and Jet Semrick, Shawnee Mission East seniors, earned first place in policy debate at this year's National Catholic Forensics League Tournament. Luke Knopke and Riley Keeney qualified for the semifinal round in dual interpretation. Senior Nicholas Wallenberg and sophomore Zachary Wallenberg from Shawnee Mission West advanced to the quarterfinal round and placed 16th in the nation in dual interpretation. And I know those debate tournaments are intense, so congratulations to our students for the wonderful job that they did. Well, starting June 3rd, free hot lunches will be offered to all children ages 1 through 18 at Summer Lunch Bunch in the Shawnee Mission School District. All children are welcome to eat at Lunch Bunch, and adult meals are available through a cash payment of $4.25. The meals will be provided from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on Monday through Friday from June 3rd to July 26th at various locations. The list of locations is available on the district website and will be linked in the board recap. We want to thank everyone who dedicates their time and talent to making sure this option is available to children throughout the summer. And then finally, I would like for uh, Dr. Rick Dole, Assistant Professor and Executive Director of the Kansas Educational Leadership Institute to come and uh, just share a few words about the partnership that we have with them and to congratulate a few of uh, our students, our staff who are students. Thank you, Dr. Fulton. Um, I am a associate professor at uh, K-State, but I spend a lot of time on that side of the table. I got to tell you, I like it more on this side of the table. I had 40 years in public education, 24 of those in uh, district office, most recently as superintendent in Lawrence. So I can relate to all of the issues that you deal with. Now it's my pleasure to help um, uh, deliver a uh, really interesting, unique master's program that K-State partners with select school districts across the state. There are six of them, uh, and Shawnee Mission is one of them, where we team plan and team teach the uh, curriculum of a uh, teacher leadership master's program. Um, the 
program is unique in that it uh, incorporates research-based uh, coursework like you would typically get in a master's program, but since we team teach it with um, district employees, um, it gets that practical piece that a lot of uh, advanced degrees, in, in all honesty, don't always have. So uh, with the help of Dr. Ziegler's planning, Dr. Schumacher and I, and Dr. Alex Redcorn, and in the first year, Dr. Mary Devon from K-State, we traveled to Shawnee Mission. You helped select students, um, teachers that you see as um, uh, already in leadership positions but have potential for even more leadership. Um, we get them approved through the grad school and we spend two years together um, to where um, every other Wednesday night uh, we meet here in this building and have great discussions about what educational leadership is all about. It's a blended curriculum, as I said, with practice and research, but it's also tied to exactly what you're doing in your district. So they have mentors that they talk with, typically they're building principal. They have required activities. They have to come to a board meeting and then write about what they see. They have to go to a state board meeting. They have to do a number of required activities. Um, they also have to um, complete a portfolio around all the ed leadership standards. So it's a wonderful, wonderful program, and like I said, with the help of Dr. Schumacher, we have um, delivered that, I think, successfully over the last couple of years. The advantages to the district are uh, numerous, but I would point out that really these students are being interviewed for two years. Um, because they're, they're being taught by, uh, in Dr. Schumacher's case, the HR, uh, HR director. Um, so uh, they are um, outstanding students that demonstrate their leadership and then are ready to lead, not necessarily just administrative leadership, but uh, many uh, choose to get their license and become uh, principals. But some decide, and we think this is just fine, uh, decide that their real role is in the classroom, but they take, that they take on teacher leadership roles. So we're excited for the partnership. And um, I'd like to introduce the 13. I think some of them are here tonight, so I'll try to hold off and introduce the four that are here late. But these names might ring um, in the future because you might very well be uh, promoting them or uh, in a, at a future date. So the 13 students are Jeremy Wayne, Carolina Salguro, uh, Kendra Schamberg, Jen Jude, Jessica Risinger, Joanna Roach, John Farrell, Molly Honer, uh, and Jenny Collier. And those that are here tonight, please stand up. Amy Schick, Gloria Hastings, Aaron Aldridge, and Maggie Carter. So thank you very much from the K-State perspective. We appreciate the partnership. That concludes my report. Great. Well, thank you for the partnership. We certainly appreciate it as well, and congratulations to the graduates on your hard work. Well done. With that, we'll move on to item 2.02, which is an update on the strategic planning. So Dr. Fulton will provide that. And I've looked in the crowd. I was trying to see if there's any students that are here for some other civics-oriented or organization that they're here as a requirement. You all look like you could be in high school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just want to make sure we didn't miss any scouts that might be here today. Dr. Fulton. Okay, well, thank you. We're getting close. You know, we started this back in the fall as we started to discuss how we wanted to go about the process of designing up, in cooperation with our community, a strategic plan. And of course, as you recall, we started off with the Kansas Can Vision. This whole notion that 
we'll make sure every child is college and career ready. Working off that template, we then, uh, as a board, we designed up the process and got that rolling in January, February with a steering committee. That steering committee met and came up with what has now been a widely distributed a draft of our beliefs, mission statement, objectives, and parameters, along with our strategies. Now, we have had uh, for a number of months, for several months, action teams working on taking a more specific look at how to make sure that we're achieving our objectives by looking at through the lens of five strategies. They are in the process uh, of basically completing their action plans. In fact, those are done. The steering committee will meet on the 5th to review the work of the action planning teams. Um, when they look at those, uh, when they look at that work, they'll be working um, off of a template that all the action planning teams were used. They needed to identify the strategy that they were working with, the specific result that they were trying to achieve with that uh, as part of that strategy. And you probably see several of uh, those result statements relate to each strategy and then specific action steps that help to achieve that result. Now that's the work that the action planning team has done. They haven't filled out the part of the template that talks about assigned to, starting date, and so on. Because before that happens, it needs to go back to the steering committee on the 5th. They'll review all the work, make any final modifications that they want to make. That will then go to me. And at that point, what I'll need to do is I'll need to begin to fill out these action planning sheets, assigning the work to specific uh, administrators. We'll also need to uh, work on bringing forward a strategy for evaluating our plan as well. Now, we're not going to have every single detail worked out when we bring it to you the end of June, but we should have the basic template completed so that um, we can hit the ground running with a strategic plan once it's approved by the Board of Education. Do you have any questions for me? Mrs. Mack? Um, just real quick, and, and um, if we have, when we look at, at the draft of everything, um, you know, as a Board of Education, it's going to come to us, and there will be literally, you know, 30 people on the strategic plan task force, and then we have hundreds of people behind that. And if there are a couple of things that we want to tweak, it's going to, I don't even know if we're even allowed to do that. <laughs> so do we tell Laura and Heather if there's, I mean, not to change the essence of it whatsoever, but to change a word here or there, are we, do we have that opportunity well, or do we? It's the beauty of it being a very public document. Okay. You know, you'll have an opportunity, anyone will have an opportunity to talk with folks who might be on the steering committee, for example, with any thoughts that they may have. At the end of the day, and I can say this as one of 30 steering committee members, is uh, at the end of the day, that really is the will of the group. And so we'll have to reach consensus on what we want to bring forward. And then once I have that, uh, then, you know, I can do any final, I would say probably relatively very minor tweaks that may or may not even be needed. Mm -hmm. I mean, ideally, since I'm we're on the steering committee, we can get all that worked out there, and I don't anticipate that we will. Um, but then I'll have that work to do of filling out the action steps and assigning responsibilities for each of the action steps and so on. But, um, yeah, it's not a final 
document until the board approves it. Thank you. Dr. Sinclair. The, thank you for that update. The action team leaders have met the last couple days, correct? The, action, the leaders of the action teams came together? They've Did been meeting. They have yes, been meeting? They, they have been meeting, right. Okay. Can you speak to more about what that particular agenda has been, that the team leaders were coming together? Sure. Just elaborate on that a little bit. So the, the teams, the action planning teams, did a great job of getting the action steps put together. Mm -hmm. what, the, uh, what the action team leaders were doing is they were taking all that documentation and just cleaning up wording, you know, trying to make sure that wording was consistent throughout the documents. They didn't change the content. They were just cleaning up formatting, making sure that the intended message was the received message on the document. Um, and then just, again, getting it formatted so it was ready for the steering committee to review. Okay. So was there cross-action team kinds of goals for those leaders to get together in terms of consistent? Yeah, throughout, throughout the process, a couple things happened. First of all, after each meeting, the, the action team leaders would get together, review what happened in each group, compare notes, and then uh, that helped them as they went back and began to work with their, with their groups. The other uh, piece that happened at each meeting, we would have the, uh, the action team leaders share a, a brief summary of what their team had discussed in the previous meeting and kind of give a big picture overview of what the team was going to discuss that night with the entire group so that everyone that was there that evening could get a summary of, of what had happened and what was going to happen, and that helped. Okay. Plus. We were sending out updates throughout the process, so there were no surprises on what each action team was uh, talking about. Okay, thank you for that. You're welcome. Other board member questions? Thank you very much for the update. Thanks. I do want to credit the action planning teams. They did a great job. And the steering committee is doing a wonderful job. We're looking forward to the fifth and then bringing the final uh, draft to you. Thank you. All right, thank you. Believe it or not, June is just a couple days away. We're ready. Next on the agenda is our uh, legislative update, item 2.03, and we welcome Dr. Stuart Little. Welcome. Hello, uh, Stuart Little with Little Government Relations in Topeka. Um, I'm here to give you kind of, it was scheduled as a kind of a wrap up, and of course the legislature adjourned today for good. The 2019 session is over, barring a special session. So I'll just hit some of the highlights, a couple of things that have been resolved. And, um, um, and be happy to answer any questions here. Um, I wanted to first thank Dr. Fulton and Dr. Atha for their uh, help during a legislative session. It was uh, uh, an interesting year coming up with another attempt to fix school finance, so that kept us on our toes most of the time. Um, and um, today was the last day where we wrapped up everything, and at this point we're essentially waiting on the court to give us a decision on the Gannon case, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But um, the issue today at the end of the legislative session concerns some budget issues, the tax policy issue. I've reported on those issues because the amount of revenues always had an impact 
impact on what we do with school finance. So I'd mention a couple of things. The, the governor had passed a, and the legislature had passed a budget that had uh, added some, uh, in many places, uh, uh, funding where there had been an absence of that in the past. Child welfare, corrections, mental health, a whole bunch of things where, where funds were added in and was part of the budget process. Of course, resolving the budget got tied up in the issue of Medicaid expansion, as you will recall and following in the media that there had been some issues that uh, the budget bill was being held up to try to get the Senate to take action on Medicaid after the House had passed that. And um, that issue was eventually resolved when the kind of the coalition uh, fell apart and the budget was passed. And then the other issue that was passed is we got to the end of the legislative session because I actually haven't been here since the legislative session concluded since we haven't had that opportunity. But that was all done. And then the second tax reduction bill was passed. The first one that was passed in February was vetoed. It was going to cost about $500 million. The second bill, which was much smaller and limited in scope, was going to be about $300 million over four years, was passed at the end of the regular session. So regular session ended on the 5th of May. Governor signed the budget bill but vetoed a couple of items and then vetoed the tax bill. So when the legislature came back today, they took action on the budget bill, on the tax bill. The budget bill the, both the House and the Senate voted to override the governor's veto. There were several education-related items in their reading program that had that had been there for uh, that had been added to the budget, as well as the uh, Teach for America program and some other funding, so a small bit for mental health, $51 million, and an additional CAPERS payment. Those were all overridden, so those those funds were added back into the into the budget. The legislature uh, the, did not vote to override the governor on the tax bill, and so that the tax bill is dead, which if, if it's an it's a elimination of what would have been a reduction of about $100 million in taxes this year, but it also gets the ending balance up for the next few years by $100 million going forward. And of course, that's related to making, uh, in some ways, to making those ongoing payments that will be needed the $90 million a year for the school finance resolution. So the budget issues were resolved. And then the, the last issue that uh, I would mention would be to talk about bit just about the Gannon case because since the last time I was here and since the legislature adjourned uh, on on the um, uh, they they had the oral arguments for the Gannon case and and we've all followed along there in the most simple terms the state had argued that equity had been addressed last year and the court had agreed to that and that they needed to come back and add and then the inflationary factor, they came up with the $90 million a year for four years, $360 million. The Department of Education, the governor's office, the House and the Senate all passed that and sent that in Senate Bill 16 to the, uh, to the Supreme Court. I've included on page five of my report an itemized list of everything that was in that bill. Just I don't know that you all had ever seen that. There's a, some policy issues in there as well, but I wanted you to have that. So then they, they had oral arguments that were brief, about an hour. The, the state argued that the, that the fund, they had done what the court asked, add the inflationary factor, and that the state needed to release jurisdiction. There was some pushback from some members of the court that um, the last time the legislature had included, passed a multi-year funding was in Montoy in 2006, 2007, where they failed to fund the final years, and the court said, should, essentially, should we trust you again to give us a multi-year, four-year funding package? Um, the plaintiffs argued that the funding 
had been uh, miscalculated, and this was an issue that we discussed earlier, that, that essentially the State Department of Ed had added $90 million a year, which was essentially the inflation factor between 2012 and 2018. How much was inflation? 1.44%, $90 million a year. So that's what everybody stuck in. And then the plaintiffs uh, at some point decided that, you know, this needed to be a compounded. You were adding, so we were shorting essentially how much we were funding the makeup of inflation. They made the argument to the court that they, that the, they would accept, the plaintiffs would accept the $90 million for this one year, but they want the legislature to go back and, and add that multiple compounding uh, impact of adding those funds back when they came in. They also asked the court to retain jurisdiction on the case so that they could follow through and make sure that all four years of funding were included in there. Um, obviously, the, the court set a self-imposed deadline of the end of June last year when they uh, asked the legislature to go back, so it's probably fair to say before the 30th of June we'll have a, a decision from the court. I think in general, lots of folks who've, who've been participating in the process, watching the process, are, are believe what maybe the most significant issue left is the jurisdictional question. There seem you've got bipartisan governor and everyone agreeing on what the funding should be. So the question may be, of course, the court can come up with any other issues they want to include in that, but the um, uh, the, the issue most likely may be the, the retaining jurisdiction for some amount of time. Uh, at that, with that. It, once that issue is resolved, it makes sounds like a minor issue after seven years, but when that issue is resolved, we'll have some sense of where we're going and what the funding will be like. And I know Russ has talked to you all about what that, that revenue will look like. Um, in June, the Legislative Coordinating Council will meet and talk about interim committee topics. I suspect there may be some education fatigue after spending the last three years passing school finance bills for the last three years. And so I don't know if we're going to have any interim studies or any issues uh, related to that, but we will be watching for some of the post-audit stuff that they'll be doing as part of school finance. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Uh, we're otherwise waiting for the court. So. Great. Thank you for the update. Board member questions. Mrs. Mack. Um, thank you, Mr. Stratton. Um, Stuart, as we look at how much money we're actually getting from the runs that we're getting from the formula this year, it's not a lot of money. And as I've talked with other um, publicly elected officials, um, I found out, for example, DeSoto has only 7,400 students and they're getting over $7 million increase this year on the funding. So instead of being, you know, once again whining, here we are in the Shawnee Mission School District going, we would really like some more money in the Shawnee Mission School District. I see two areas where we, there are revenue. One is to take the lid off the LOB and the second is to try and get some form of reimbursement for our special education. Now, it's my understanding the, the state put in about $65 million, is that right, Mary, this last year into special education. Their target for reimbursement is 81%, and their district's still getting over 100% reimbursement, and we're in the 60% range. Can you explain why we don't get full special education reimbursement? Well, um, that's... 
you 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 laid out kind of a couple of, of of issues there with regard to the LOB and with the 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 special education. I'm not an expert on special education, but we have in in and somebody's going to be more skilled at answering this question than I am. But the last time, probably at least five or seven years ago, there was some time and energy spent on looking at special education and the range of reimbursements. Of course, we're reimbursed for uh, costs incurred, and the, there are any number of issues with regard to special education. It has to do with where you are geographically and what your staffing costs are in some parts of the state compared to a more competitive job market. And so that you're getting reimbursed at the same rate, but your costs of doing business are higher in certain locations. That has an impact. There are issues in, in audits that have come up about identification of students with special ed needs and how that varies from district to district. And so there are those, there are any number of contributing factors in how that, the, the span of us, there are, there are, I believe, getting up much beyond 100 people getting 150, 175% reimbursement down into the 50s. And we've always, I think, historically been somewhere in the mid-60s for the percent that we are reimbursed for. Our, we are reimbursed for our actual costs. So it's, it is an incredibly complex issue having to do with with uh, the, the nature of the, of the, the job market and also kind of, I think, what's provided where it's it is it, it it's i've i've always frankly having done this for 15 years i've always been surprised that we haven't dealt deeper into that that's always been an issue that's kind of been sitting there with has it's such a variation in what you all who are investing the resources to serve kids and families what you're getting back from the state compared to some other parts of the state yeah. great point thank you Ms. Owsley. Um, I was just curious how much the Teach for America line item was. I was familiar with the other so one. 260,000, I think, something okay. like that. They got 500,000 last year and found three teachers. So right, and so that, that had been, that was vetoed, and it was just, and so they increased it. Okay. Yeah. Board members, questions for Dr. Little. Dr. Sinclair. Um, thank you for the update. Um, the one of the qu questions or I just wanted to circle back to is the last session there was this add-on to the safety drills that brought districts into this level of fire and and crisis drills and tornado drills and doing them like every other week. Mm -hmm. That was cleaned up this session, correct? So I do not remember the bill number because it passed and the governor signed it more than early. a month or so ago. But there was legislation that that um, I believe set a minimum of nine and you were essentially going to have like two fire, two tornado, three other kind of thing. So there was, and everyone was keenly aware of of the impact of two years ago, what happened. So yes, that bill was passed. I just, okay. I'll look up the number and send it to you. That's okay. The numbers, I just wanted to just to refresh our memory on that one. You know, I think I was not the only one that heard from a number of parents about the concern about the, at least the frequency of crisis drills, particularly for our early elementary school age kiddos. And so knowing that that piece of statute has been cleaned up, I think is important to us. So. 128. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then 
May I ask yes, one more? So the budget bill was veto over was overridden so that correct so the tax bill was not but the budget that is correct. The, the, the items, the tax bill, which as a separate piece of legend was, legislation was yes, all up or down. You're either going to override or veto. And the, the House failed to have sufficient, they failed by full five votes to do that. And so the Senate didn't even take it up because it wasn't going to get there. But the House and Senate both overrode. I think there were probably, I think, five provisions that the governor had line item vetoed in her budget. So the rest of the budget bill was through. This restored the things that she took out. A couple of things. So that changed the ending balance down to about six hundred million or something instead of eight hundred. I, I think it was, was it higher than I think maybe six hundred in a year out. I think it's nine hundred for this okay. this this fiscal year, which is what a month left. So. Okay. Um, one other question, but I've lost it, so I'll, I can follow up with an okay. email my notes. Thank you. Right. Any other questions? Yes, Ms. Dowsley. So they're supposed to have that certain amount of cushion in the statute that says they're supposed to have a certain amount left over, and they're now beyond that because the vetoes were overridden, the line item vetoes were overridden. What happens with that? I mean, I feel like we've been in that territory before, and I don't recall anything happening when we've dropped below the statutory requirement for the balance. Statutorily, we are required to have a 7.5% ending balance, mm -hmm. which is somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, about $800 million or so. Um, and so we have not probably since about 2006 or seven probably been above seven and a half percent. And so this probably is the first time in at least 10, 12 years that we've had over a seven and a half percent ending balance. And I think we're closer. I think I read somewhere we're maybe up to about nine and a half percent. And then we're at, we'll be just about even, I think, in 2020. Of course, we'll have another round of esti revenue estimates and those kind of things. But And essentially, the legislature just waives that statutory requirement, and they say notwithstanding the 7.5% requirement, we're going to have, I mean, there was a year we had you know, less than a million dollars left at the end of the fiscal year. So. Anyone else? Thank you very much for your work on our behalf and for the update. We appreciate it. Thank you. Next item is uh, board report, item 2.04. I'll see if there's any updates from any of our board members. Uh, Reverend Guy for SMAC PTA. I have no report this right. time. Thank you. And uh, Mrs. Owsley from our Education Foundation. I have no reports. Right. Thanks. And uh, KSB, Mrs. Zila? Uh, we meet um, June 7th and 8th, I believe it is. All right. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Sinclair, any legislative updates beyond what we just received? <laughs> Thanks. Um, our task forces, uh, Mrs. Goodburn, regarding constituent services. No, I believe we have a meeting set, but um, no, we have not met recently. Okay. And professional services, Mrs. Zila. Um, as far as I know, we have closed the application process and are moving on to interviews with prospective candidates for in-house counsel. All right. Thank you. And um, our policy review committee, the newly selected chair, is Mrs. Goodburn. Any updates? Yes, we, well, um, just that we're meeting. So we met last week and we'll meet again tomorrow morning. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. We move on to item 2.05, and this is our time for public comment. And a quick reminder of some of the guidelines here, and then we'll call up our, our guests tonight. Um, as we state that our 
agenda. Here are a few reminders that will keep, help speakers have a constructive and positive experience when presenting comments to the board. When making your remarks this evening, please proceed to the podium. When your name is called, and share your name, your city of residence, what schools your children may attend, if that's applicable, and the name of any group or organization that you might be representing. Tonight, we'll limit remarks to three minutes. In consideration of everyone's time, please select a group spokesperson if there are multiple people looking to speak on the same subject. Uh, please make your comments while remaining behind the podium. And um, if there are any comments pertaining to an item on today's meeting agenda, the board president may ask the superintendent or designee to address those comments at the time or when the item is up for board discussion. And generally, responses from the board members for public comment will be limited to clarifying <coughs> questions. And with that, first up is Samantha Feinberg. Welcome. Thank you. I like the podium to the side better than the podium at the center. Hi, my name is Samantha Feinberg. I've worked as a secondary educator in the district since 2005. I live and teach in the East Area, and all three of my children attend district programs. I'm here to urge the board to specifically allocate some of the $9.8 million in funding we'll receive from the state to allow building administrators to staff and schedule our district's high schools so that teachers are back to teaching five periods daily. I'm here representing a large segment of secondary educators in the district. At the completion of my remarks, I will submit to Ms. Wintering a copy of a letter for each school board member signed by over 220 high school teachers across all five high schools. While I won't claim to represent 100% of our high school teachers, my comments tonight represent the position of a critical mass. My comments tonight will highlight the content of the letter, which is lengthier than the three minutes public comment will allow. Many of the teachers who have signed this letter are long-term employees of this district were people who recognize that this is not a job but a true calling. We take pride in our district, our schools, and our work. We're not here to complain. We're here to ask for your support in order to do the job we love with the pride of knowing we have done our absolute best for our students. Sadly, our current teaching load limits our ability to do this. For the past several years, high school teachers across the district have taught six out of seven periods daily. Teaching five out of seven sections is the norm nationwide and in all of our neighboring Johnson County school districts. At the time of the change, a general sense was that scheduling us for six sessions each day was related to funding, keeping staffing numbers lower to save money. Teachers believed that we were being asked to accommodate a temporary tightening of the belt and that we'd return to five, a more sustainable load that's quite challenging but allows us to be effective. After years of school funding that has put public schools in operational jeopardy. Governor Laura Kelly has signed the bipartisan K-12 spending bill granting us the additional funds mentioned earlier. To put high school teachers back on five sections daily would require less than 2% of the district's operating budget. We believe now is the time to make this decision as a district and NEA, SMNEA engage in a con contract negotiations. Our district's current KISA goals pertain to responsive culture and relationships. These are worthy goals that certainly support improved outcomes for students, but some of the practical considerations that come along with scheduling teachers six out of seven daily periods or six periods of 30 students, 180, create impediments even when teachers strive to support these goals. Let's take a glimpse at numbers further. Less 25 minutes for lunch in a 50-minute daily plan period, a teacher has 345 minutes of direct student contact each day. Working with a student number of 180, this averages out to one minute and 54 seconds dedicated to each of her 180 students. During her 50-minute plan period to grade 180 papers, a teacher must grade 3.6 papers each minute or 16.6 seconds per paper. Throw in what might be her first five-minute restroom break that day, and we're talking 15 seconds per paper. Students get less individualized attention and feedback on their work. This inhibits their growth as learners 
manners and limits the type of activities a teacher might carry out in class. Teachers still have many other things competing for their attention, such as communicating with families, designing and innovating daily lesson plans, developing engaging units of study, working closely with struggling students, assessing multiple drafts of students' writing, preparing materials for class activities, projects and labs, attending IEP meetings, conferring with administrators, completing the necessary paperwork for the teacher evaluation licensure process, updating herself on changes to teaching standards and course objectives, pursuing professional training opportunities to further her skills, accruing and logging time spent conferring with families and engaging in professional development, writing recommendation forms, coaching a sport or sponsoring a club, the list goes on and on. There are many additional things we do above and beyond this, and I know my time is running out, or has run out. Um, teaching six sections each day creates a distinct impediment to being able to accomplish the tasks mentioned above. Obstacles that bar us from accomplishing these tasks hinder our ability to maintain responsive culture and build relationships with our students. This is not what we want. I have a little bit more to say. I will stop. I will stop. Um, But I will say um, we really, the teachers represented on this letter are here because we care about our students. We want to do our best. Um, And we feel that right now we have to make certain compromises. So thank you for hearing me. Thank you for comments and your service to our students. We appreciate that. Any comments from our board members? With that, will Susan Hallstrom. Thank you. Um, My name is Susan Hallstrom, and I am a science teacher at Shawnee Mission East High School. I'm here to reiterate what Samantha talked about and to talk about some of my own experiences and some of my colleagues' rather challenging experiences that have become our reality since we've been teaching an overload of six. Um, I thought I had five minutes, so I'm sort of... Well, we just gave you about 15 seconds there by (laughs) starting the clock slow. How's that? Excellent. In my building, we had a great student teacher this fall. He had everything that it takes to positively impact students. He was knowledgeable. He was kind. He was caring. He was offered a position in our building. He, after teaching six classes, he recognized what a burden that was. He took a position with one of our immediately southern neighbors. Um for less money because he would rather do that than teach six. He knew what it was like. I have a colleague who just left Kansas. He's a younger guy, moved to Oregon, and he said, I'm not going to do this the rest of my life. I can't work this workload. We lost another valuable teacher. That's two in my tiny little world. Teaching six classes of up to 32 students leaves many of us with 140 to 170 in my department. Lab reports, tests, quizzes, homework assignments, It's more often the case than not that I'm working 15 to 20 hours every weekend. And rarely do I get to bed before 10 during the school school day. I don't have time to go to the gym. You know, I I just don't have time. And we thought this was going to be a a short-term solution, but it's turned into our reality. We've designed our assignments, our assessments, our lab investigations to provide our students, students with deep and meaningful laboratory experiences. We give them the opportunity to write. We give them opportunity to perform high-level data analysis. And in order to make that work, we have to provide feedback. We have to provide meaningful, insightful, and valuable feedback. What we're cutting as fast as we can is the feedback, because you can't do feedback at 150 papers. If I have one-minute feedback for one lab one day a week, that's two and a half hours for one assignment. Setting up, preparing for laboratory investigations is laboratory and time intensive. And we are 
just not able to do what we used to do when we had five classes. Add this to the fact that class sizes have increased and we're finding it harder and harder to develop relationships. Um, when we have huge classes and you're dealing with six, we find ourselves doing more crowd control and less relationship building. And none of us went into teaching for that to be our reality. Um, I sit on the Kansas Department of Education Committee of Teacher Supply and Vacancy, and we talk about why Kansas is losing, not able to rec recruit, and can't find teachers. There are a lot of things that contribute to this. One of the things in this district is that workload matters. We went into teaching because we love our students, and I'm not saying that lightly. I love my students. I give them all I can give day after day, and it's very hard when it's never enough. I don't have all the insights. You people probably would love to give us all the resources we need, but I'm here to ask that you dig deeper and just give us what we need to give our kids what they deserve. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for your service and dedication to our students. We appreciate that. Next up is Lauren Ingenham. Welcome. My name is Lauren Ingram, and I live a block away from here, and my daughter attends North. I'm here because I'm a product of this district. From kindergarten to senior year in the South area, and for the last 10 years as an elementary art teacher. Recently, I resigned because I accepted a teaching job in another district. Why would I leave after spending almost my entire life as a member of this community? I'm leaving because it was the right decision for me to seek an employer who values teachers' expertise and in doing so provides a superior education and safe environment for students. I'm leaving because SMSD tells teachers that we're lucky to work here rather than saying that they are lucky to employ us. SMSD tells us we're the highest paid teachers while ignoring the fact that we have the highest workloads. We teach more classes, we have shorter plan times, and we have larger class sizes than any other district in this area. Switching to ABCD scheduling increased my workload by 20% each week. My colleagues in middle and high school faced a similar workload increase when they were made to teach six classes a day instead of five. After three full years of teaching 30 elementary art classes a week, I decided I'm finished. I kept expecting things to change, and then I realized there was no tenable way I could continue to teach, stretch too thin, forced to dumb down the quality of my teaching because of the churn and burn schedule put in place by this district leadership. Here's my advice. If you're concerned with quality teachers will continue to leave the district, please start growing your own leadership rather than always hiring powerful positions from outside. Please look closely at who you're hiring as principals and begin to include your teachers as part of the process, selecting a leader who will best fit their school. Please commit to hiring only certified, licensed, trained educators to fill open teaching positions. Please hire more support staff and train and pay them appropriately. Please make research-based decisions for curriculum implementation and hire specialists for specific curriculum categories rather than lumping all of curriculum into one or two person's workloads. Please provide quality professional development not flavor of the month, quippy, vapid platitudes designed to reinvigorate and energize your workforce who frankly can see right through it and expect better. 
Don't let children get lost in overcrowded classrooms. Don't let teachers feel unwanted. Don't let teachers feel like criminals for asking questions and providing expert solutions. Instead, create a pathway for teachers to problem solve and feel safe and trusted in their buildings and in their district, rather than communicating in, if you don't like it, leave, style of leadership. We might take you up on it. Thank you very much, and thank you for your service to the district. We appreciate that. Next is Gretchen Shanahan. Hello, everyone. I'm Gretchen Shanahan, Overland Park, um, East Antioch is where my kids go to school. Included in the consent agenda tonight is approval of annual Apple inventory purchase. The one-to-one -one digital learning initiative was implemented five years ago with the, promise, with the promise that the devices would improve student academic outcomes. Yet district leadership has refused any, to verify any data related to the impact of these devices on student achievement, behavior, mental health, or discipline. Parents and taxpayers have a right to know the more than $50 million investment to date has had any, if it has any, has had any measurable impact on student outcomes. I, along with many other digitally wise parents, oppose any additional taxpayer funds being allocated to the district digital initiative until the district completes a thorough and independent audit of the program. Thank you. Thank you for your comments tonight. We appreciate that. With that, we wrap up the public comment section this evening. Thank you for coming. We appreciate that. Uh, item 3.01, and that's a program evaluation. Uh, Dr. Fulton, would you like to introduce this? I would. Uh, we have Dr. Atha come forward and uh, introduce tonight's program evaluation. Thank you, Dr. Fulton. Uh, Joan Levins, um, Coordinator of Sustainability and Community Engagement, will uh, provide an overview of the Sustainability and Community Engagement Program Evaluation. And Joan, in her job, as she uh, embarks on, on uh, what she does, she reaches out across many, many programs in our district, anything everywhere from facilities to curriculum and instruction. Uh, Joan has a real passion for the position, and I think you'll notice that in her presentation. Joan. Good evening, members of the Board of Education and Dr. Fulton. Thank you for this opportunity. The Shawnee Mission School District Board of Education um, includes sustainable and efficient use of resources in its previous strategic plan. Sustainability and community engagement is a department with operations and within operations and maintenance. O&M staff have primary responsibility for assuring and providing frontline support for these programs. Um, the coordinator of sustainability position and community engagement serves as a bridge between operations and maintenance and curriculum and instruction. There are no dedicated resources for sustainability. Much of the work is accomplished through partnerships, gifts, grants, and donations. This slide includes many of the people across multiple departments who help support this program and all that we do. All of these people are integral and there are another 220 custodians also on the ground who help make all this happen. Our areas of focus were, were set by our students. Student representatives from all six high schools came together in 2016 to set district priorities around sustainability. 
these are their five priorities in priority order. Priority one is school gardens and natural areas. 80% of our schools currently host school gardens or natural, garden, natural areas. They include food gardens as well as natural habitats. Another priority of the district is landscaping for sustainability. Um, the Center for Academic Achievement is an example of landscaping for sustainability. The 1.3 urban farm, acre urban farm, the native plantings around the, the district offices that uh, filter stormwater, and also the walking trails that welcome the community are part of that plan. Mid-America Regional Council featured this is the Center for Academic Achievement in its Green Infrastructure Playbook. The map in the upper right-hand corner is a result of that playbook. It prioritizes for us the sites um, in which we would apply sustainable design concepts that will have the greatest ecological and social value. Priority two for the students was education, awareness, and student involvement. We work with curriculum instruction and assessment to align sustainability with priority district standards. Students develop sustainability capstone projects at, at um, many of the grade levels. As an example, Prairie Elementary students recently researched recycling tips for their city. Um, there was a lack of compliance on the part of residents or, or they were struggling with the compliance, um, as many municipalities are. The students offered to research tips and they were, they were adopted by the city council unanimously. At the middle school level, um, the city of Overland Park came to us and um, wanted to partner in water quality education as a part of stormwater quality, um, assuring our drinking water source. The middle school teachers um, in eighth grade were pulled together to, do, to help us with that work. They immediately said, we really should expand this to sixth and seventh grade. Johnson County and operations and maintenance contributed, and as a result, um, there, the students, I mean the teachers engaged in professional learning, teacher release time to map curriculum and streamside field studies and here the teachers are on the Missouri River learning about where our water goes. Priority three is efficiency and this was actually a part of the strategic, the previous strategic plan. Currently all schools and administrative centers in Shawnee Mission recycle and all of our schools in the Center for Academic Achievement recycle and compost. Again, this is the fourth grade class that researched and implemented the process that we currently use of color-coded bins and um, signage. The food that's composted um, returns to our schools and our school guard to provide uh, the soil for our school gardens. Also part of priority three is energy efficiency. KCPNL is our energy partner. Um, we currently have three level two charging stations out at, um, in the parking lot here. They're currently free of charge. In addition, pending your approval this evening of the KCPNL Renewables Direct Participation Agreement, the Shawnee Mission School District intends to purchase 80% of its electric energy from renewable resources at a fixed rate over a five-year period. There is very small financial risk to the district and a great opportunity for cost savings. In addition, Shawnee Mission will participate in the sustainability of renewable energy resources in our region. Priority four for the students was transportation alternatives, including um, carpooling and biking and walking to school. As part of that project, again, with multiple partners, we developed a guide and checklist for safe routes to school that any school um, in our district and in Johnson County or in our region can refer to. It's on our district website. <clears throat> and lastly, 
Priority five is health and well-being, and the students identified a broad list of considerations to enhance student and health and well-being. These issues, as you can see, are incorporated into the other four priorities. In addition, tonight, pending your approval, the district intends to purchase uh, cleaning systems for five high schools, which will reduce their green cleaning systems, which will reduce packaging, shipping costs, and meet healthy building standards for chemical use to improve indoor air quality. Our future focus includes our program goal, which is to connect students to rigorous, relevant learning that positively impacts their community, builds their self-confidence, motivates them to engage in the more, more challenging coursework required to meet their aspirations, while assuring healthy learning environments ensure their future. Our future focus is to um, engage in these, these goals and to continue to work um, to achieve them. Thank you. I'll stand for any questions. Thank you for the update. We appreciate that. Board member questions? Zila. Thanks, Joan, for that presentation there. I know you've, you work on this very diligently there. Um, does any other school district in, in our area or in the state have every single building plus our administrative buildings with recycling, composting, that sort of program? Not that we know of. Um, we know there are other districts in the nation, but um, as far as this full implementation, not in our area. But we do share our resources with other districts, and we welcome um, their um, c contacting us and asking us how what our system is, and um, we share our resources with other districts. And this all began with a very grassroots type of effort, Absolutely. as I recall. Yes. Um, early on in 2007, actually, the food service, and they were listed on the early slide, the food service eliminated styrofoam in 2007. In 2008, the first elementary schools implemented composting. It grew until 2015 when it, it became a district initiative. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, Joan, for everything. And I just wanted to clarify on the last slide, the future focus, the third bullet point, it says to continue to identify and implement sustainability practices that increase efficiency and reduce costs, which are obviously always a goal, but even when something is cost neutral or you know, maybe it's not necessarily just that it's saving money, but it's implementing a practice that's good for the health of the students, the health of the building, um, and that we know we get an ROI on even if the initial cost isn't maybe necessarily less, that those are still included. It's not that the priority goal is just, I mean, I'm happy to reduce expenses, that's fantastic, but the, the primary goal is supporting sustainability practices. Yes, and integrating them into student learning, making, yeah. it's, it's great hands-on learning opportunities. And then how many pounds of food was it that was Eliminated from 600,000 pounds of food in 2017 were eliminated from the landfill. That's well done, kids. I mean, I know I've been in my kids' cafeteria lunchroom, and they, it's a great system, and I'm really proud of the students of the district for implementing it and following it, and that's really phenomenal. Thank you. Dr. Sinclair? Um, would you, so this is kind of a, I don't know if it's a speculation, but are there, um, do you see any momentum or particular excitement around either um, bringing any particular initiative around sustainability efforts to a larger scale within the district, 
or do you see an excitement maybe for some new element of the sustainability efforts? There are many more things to be done within the district. I guess there, with these, these are the beginning steps and there are many more, more steps that can be taken. I feel like this initiative is broadly supported across every department in every building um, and that there's a growing understanding of the impact on student learning. Um, we're beginning to look at that more closely um, so that it's not just good for the environment, it's also good learning opportunities. So really connecting the sustainability efforts with the day-to-day, moment-to-moment learning opportunities, curriculum and instruction. Exactly. We really focus on our students. Um, There are numerous student projects, student-led projects, that are really helping guide us um, and reinforce the work that we're doing. Are there any sort of, my last part to this, are there certification opportunities at a high school level around sustainability that you're aware of that a student could leave with any kind of I'm, I'm not thinking. Okay. I just didn't know if that's at, the, at this. I'm sure there are. Um, at this point, we'd, I'd have to look into that more mm-hmm. closely. Um, there are sustainability related. We partnered with the U.S. Green Building Council, for example, to pilot um, to schools as teaching tools in two schools. There are only 12 schools nationally that participated in the program. We're having conversations about how, what's the next step. Um, actually, we're talking later this week. Um, that's that is a certification entity, um, but I but there's nothing at this point that I know of. Thank you. Open to suggestions. Appreciate though. that. Mrs. Goodburn. A couple things. I, I noticed in the long report you mentioned the 2016 Sustainability Youth Summit priorities held in March of 16. Now we're coming across most of those kids have probably graduated by now. Any any, any chance to bring that back at some point? Um, and have we those? were just talking about that this morning, um, actually. When, when, when should we schedule the next summit? Um, and we're hearing that from our students, too. They're ready to come back to the table yeah. and talk about this because we do reference this. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. And they also, I remember being at the R&D forum and there was a poster that you had that showed that 600,000 pounds, or six. 600,000 pounds in buses, school buses. Do you remember how many buses it was? I remember that we, um, the regional administrator from EPA actually translate that, I believe it was 70 elephants. Um, I don't recall the number of buses. There are two different posters. They generated one one year and another the next year with more buses, which is currently at operations and maintenance. They get to have that. that well, in it was, there. It was a lot of buses. It was a lot of exactly buses. how many, but they were pictured on the poster, and it was a lot of buses. So it just helps give a visual to that 600,000 pounds. But great work. Thank you. Mrs. Mack. Um, you are inspiring. And what you do is infectious, and it's contagious. And my understanding is there are a lot more secondary students that want to study environmental education. Do you have much? I, I have been told that there are not very many opportunities for them. I know there's one in, there's environmental studies one and environmental studies two. And um, two of our high schools have the environmental labs. Are, do you have knowledge of um, what our needs are as far as curriculum in secondary and what needs we have as far as teaching? We also were discussing that this morning as well. So, so that's a topic that's under discussion. Um, we have I believe there's also an environmental sciences AP course that's also available for our students. Um, 
and the curriculum instructor, the curriculum instruction team had hoped to be here tonight and would be able to answer these questions, but they, we changed the meeting date and it's, um, they were not, they had family commitments. So that, I'm not, I can't answer I, the rest of that. Not a problem, I was just curious, thank you. Mm -hmm. Ms. Um, I just wanted to touch base on the Evergy contract really quick so that we could maybe get a little bit more information on that since it's on mm -hmm. the agenda later. Um, so it's my understanding that um, if the local municipalities and boards sign up for this contract and it allows the creation of wind farms to provide the renewable energy that then brings that renewable energy to our community and it's a cost neutral like there's no additional expense for us to agree to that is that that's that's correct there is a there's a rare or a, a very slight very small chance that there could be a cost but it's very unlikely this will fix our um, and I have to look at the terminology our energy cost adjustment um, is, a, is a variable rate um, currently, this will be in a renewable energy charge that will be fixed. In the past several years, that, renew that um, adjustable rate has fluctuated and climbed. This will, will keep that renewable charge at a fixed, fixed, at a rate. fixed rate. And then, is it accurate if once the wind farm is up and going, are private consumers able to then purchase Renewable energy, do you know that? Is I do that not know the, the answer to that, that question. I think I see Drew in the audience. Can you answer that, Drew? Or? Do you want me to answer back here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in, in the renewables program. Uh, I think you should step You can forward. come up, yeah. Yeah. People at home won't hear you. I've got a loud voice. I can yell this from, from wherever. You, you probably ought to introduce yourself as well. Uh, so. My name is Drew Robinson. I work for Kansas City Power and Light West Star Energy. Uh, Office addresses 1200 Main Street, Kansas City, Missouri, 64105 for the record. Uh, regarding the question at hand, uh, residential customers do not qualify for this program. However, we have solar options that customers can participate in. Uh, so every customer in our territory now has a renewable option, but specific to Renewables Direct, there's a, a, a threshold you have to be at. The district achieves it, but no residential customers can, can meet that, that load. Gotcha. Thank you. Board members, thank you for the update. Appreciate it for all the good work. Thank you. We move on to item four, which is the consent agenda this evening. I turn to board members to see if they'd like to have any items lifted up for individual consideration before we seek a motion on the consent agenda. Being none, I'll seek a motion to approve. I would move approval. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Ms. Zila. All those in favor of approving the items on tonight's consent agenda, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We move to item five, which is 5.01 under action items. And the first one is a renewal for the Skyward license fee. And uh, Dr. Fulton, I'll turn to you to tee that one up. Yeah, I just gave a brief overview. Um, this is to approve our annual software license agreement for Skyward, which is a student information system. And we do this every year. Again, it's a licensing agreement. It covers uh, the period from July 1st, uh, 2019 through July 3rd, or June 30th, 2020. Um, you know, Skyward is interesting. All student information systems are interesting, actually, because they are, they are big purchases for a district to make. 
And I know one of the things that I've heard through, for example, my faculty advisory is some concerns about the, uh, the challenges that staff sometimes have with using Skyward. Um, that's not uncommon. Sometimes that's about understanding how the system works. I personally experience that from time to time. Um, but it, it is also goes back to the uniqueness of the design of Skyward as a student information system. And so the reason I bring that up is that I think student information systems are one of those things that they're never perfect. And they're also, because they're such big investments that take time to, to implement um, and they're costly to implement, is something where as we look at student information systems going forward, we need to do so in a very thoughtful way, really be clear about what we want our student information system to do, and then be realistic about those things that it can't do. For example, one of the frustrations that a lot of people have with a student information system is the collection and use of data, whether that's academic achievement data or discipline data or, or other kinds of data. Oftentimes, they fall short in ease of collection, and certainly they really don't do anything in terms of analysis. So oftentimes, with student information systems, you have to look to the use of data warehouses as a way of pulling all that information together and get it formatted in a, or accessible in a usable way so you can maybe create data dashboards that are functional and easy to use. When I was kind of researching Skyward, it was interesting. You know, Skyward was, was uh, first, we had, we had a request for a proposal that went out in 2011, 2012. It's a long time ago. That was a request for a proposal. Prior to that time, actually at that time, we were using um, basically green screen technology. We're using the S400. 2011-2012 is a little bit late in the game. A lot of people made that transition back in the early 2000s. So the fact that we've only been in the kind of um, uh, non-green green, green screen game for um, since really its adoption, Skyward's adoption and implementation, the 13-14 school year means we haven't been at it that long. So one of the things that we'll continue to do as we, as we get our strategic plan once that's approved, as we begin to think about effective and easy uses of data to inform school improvement, we'll have to look at Skyward, but also importantly, we'll also have to look at use of data warehouses to try to make data access and use easier on everyone. So that's um, yeah, just a little bit of an interesting historical point. But um, you know, some of the issues that we face are not certainly unique to us. Uh, the other thing that I think someone asked, how many districts use Skyward? Um, one of the things is apparently that's used statewide in uh, both Washington and Oregon. And in Kansas, there's about 61 districts um, representing about 161,000 students that use Skyward. So it is a, it's a system that is used nationally. And with that, I'll be happy to respond to any questions that you might have. But this is simply approval of the licensing agreement. Yes, Reverend Guy. So this is just a one-year agreement, is that correct? It's a one-year agreement. Now, we have a longer-term contract with Skyward, um, so we're going to be using it for a little while. But the reality is this. 
It took two, from the time of request to proposal to implementation, it was about a two year period of time. That's actually pretty normal, two to three years before you really think about, identify what you really want to do, transition to the new system, get everybody trained, and then actually deploy it. So how long is our contract with them then? It's a 10-year it's a contract. Okay. So and it started, I believe, in um, 2013, 13. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. So if we wanted to look to switching to another one, we'd start that process in... If we wanted to evaluate uh, Skyward in light of other tools that are available and uh, get a strategy together to fund that, uh, that's something that could start probably uh, in the next year if we wanted to go that route. Okay. Because it would take several years. Okay. Other board members? Uh, by the way, I'm not recommending that necessarily. Just that's, that would be the process. Okay. Well, you've addressed yeah. my questions and concerns. All right. I mean, we're, we're basically committed until 2023. We are. Um, you know, we can certainly see if there's any outs to that. But the reality is, is it would take probably that long to do anything different anyway. Okay. Any other questions? Mrs. Elon. I was just going to move approval of 5.01. Thank you. Second. I'll second. And that was Mrs. Goodburn. Uh-huh. All those in favor of the item 5.01, the approval of the renewable Skyward licensing fee, please say aye. Aye. Those opposed, nay? Nay. That passes 6-1. Thank you. And that will move on to item 5.02. And this is the uh, approval for the purchase of lines of uh, insurance coverage. Dr. Fulton. Um, this is, uh, I'm actually going to turn this over to uh, Dr. Southwick and have him give a quick overview of it. And if Russ is in the house, I'll, Russ works very, very closely. We may call him Russ as well. But this is um, all of the insurance plans that you have in the district that cover you for your liabilities um, across the district. We um, have worked very closely over the last several years, Russ, with um, um, additional staff trying to look at what are the best opportunities to provide liability for the district at the same time reduce those costs when we can or curb those costs, which we've been able to do over the last several years. And if you have any questions about specific policies, I'd probably lean to Russ for that. Board member questions. We have an attachment summary in our agenda here. Any questions? Seeing none, I'll seek a motion to approve. Move approval. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. That'd be nice. Oh, okay. Jinx. <laughs> uh, any additional questions on the item? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. Uh, item 5.03, the uh, KCPNL Renewables Direct Participation Agreement. Any additional information on that, Dr. Fulton? No additional information. They did a great job of overviewing the uh, what we're approving tonight. Board member questions on the item? Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. Any additional questions? All those in favor of approval, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. And uh, item 5.04 is uh, consideration for an appeal. Uh, this is the student suspension expulsion, and the code number is E19-4. Uh, this is an item that we'll be uh, considering in an executive session. 
Do we have a motion there to move to executive session? This is an item that we will consider executive session. Uh, we will then come out and take uh, action as a board afterwards. So we will continue the meeting after that. I move we go into executive session to discuss confidential student information pursuant to the exception relating to actions adversely or favorably affecting a student under coma and the board will reconvene in the boardroom. Um, 10, 20 minutes? I think 20 10. Minutes? 20 minutes. 20. 20 is recommended. Um, we will reconvene at 735. Right. Um, second. Okay, it's been moved and seconded to move to executive session for a period of 20 minutes. Any questions on the motion? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. Aye. All those aye. Opposed those nay. That passes 7-0. We will reconvene to continue on the agenda in 20 minutes. Sorry. Mary, did you second it? Oh, oh it's Patty. 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 Okay. Oh, Sorry. Is there a point of clarification? Point of clarification? No. I, I just didn't, I wanted to, I know I'm kind of out of order here, but I wanted to remind folks that the school-based clinic at Marion Park. And we will do those at the end. Yeah. yeah we're, we'll okay, continue okay. with the meeting. People we, might leave them. Yeah. Um, we'll come back. We'll be And I'll turn to my board members for a motion. I would move um, regarding the consideration of appeal of student um, E19-4 that we uphold the exp expulsion and suspension committee's recommendation. I would second that. Thank you, Mrs. Zila, for the motion and Mrs. Goodburn for the second. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. That completes our action items, and I'll move on to item six, which is board comments. I turn to board members for comments this evening. Dr. Sinclair. Okay, sorry, I just want to uh, reiterate and remind folks that the um, school-based clinic at Marion Park will remain open <coughs> all summer long, as it did last summer. And um, I am remiss in stating I assume the hours are the same, but I could be... I don't know if there's others in the room who could confirm those hours, but during the school year, they take... Um, it's on the website. On, yeah, okay. So Tuesday afternoon, walk-in hours are noon, 12.30 to 3.30, and um, I think there's by appointments on Wednesday mornings. But it's a phenomenal resource, open to all of our community. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mrs. Mack. I just wanted to give a shout out. Um, Dr. Ziegler, you're here, and the K-State adjunct or associate professor who was here. I just wanted to recognize Dr. Alex Redcorn is a Shawnee Mission graduate. He and his brothers at West and at Shawnee Mission Northwest have all kinds of wrestling records. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to Dr. Alex Redcorn. And, and he's, you know, it's homegrown. So to Alex, good job. <laughs> Thank you. Other board members? Yes, Mrs. Owsley. Um, the summer lunch bunch started today, so refer kiddos to get a hot lunch if they need one over the summer. And again, the list of schools is on the website where they can... Yes, and I don't know them off the top of my head. I don't either. <laughs> June 3rd, I think. Did it not start today? I thought it started today. I thought it said June 3rd. June 3rd. I think oh, it's Monday. June 3rd. Oh, well, I'm jumping the gun. <laughs> But still send hungry children to get food if they need to. <laughs> but if they look for the building, they'll find it. And anyone dates. can participate. So, you know, anybody. Yeah, can 18 go. and yeah. under. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you. Other board members? 
Have we met since graduation? I don't believe we have. I don't think we have. No. Graduations were wonderful this year. I think the weather held for everyone, is that correct? So we didn't get drenched this year. That's always a kind of pleasant adventure. We didn't have to move inside this year. So anyway, I think the three that I attended went off flawlessly. The kids were respectful and wonderful as we knew they would be. And it was just a wonderful event to launch them off into their future. Anyone else? <clears throat> Well, before we move to executive session, a reminder that our next meeting is June 24th. We do one meeting in the month of June, so it'll be approximately one month from now. And with that, Mrs. Owsley, a motion to go to executive session. I move we go into executive session to discuss negotiations pursuant to the exception for employer-employee negotiations under COMA. And the board will reconvene. We're going to do 25 minutes, but take a five-minute break between now and then. So that would put us at um, 8.10. We will reconvene at 8.10. Okay. Yeah. So and, there, and there will be no business that takes place after that, except for another executive session. <laughs> two more. We have two more. Okay. Thank you. And it was seconded by Mrs. Hila. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. Thank you for being here this evening.